Hey everybody, this is Gene Troyer. I'm the lead pastor of Restore Church. And what a pleasure it is to welcome you to our podcast. It's my hope that you will be marked by love and encouraged in your faith and inspired to become all God has created you to be. Now I invite you to lean in and enjoy the podcast. This is week number five of the series, Help My Unbelief. I've entitled this morning, I do till I don't. I do till I don't. We've been talking about this thing called deconstruction. I was so surprised this weekend I mentioned this, this word to some friends of ours and they didn't know what I, was, what I meant. Now, once I unpacked it a little bit, they oh yeah, 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 okay. Yeah, we did that years ago. We did that years ago. Well, deconstruction for the purpose of reconstruction. That's what we've been talking about for the last five weeks. We, we tear down to build back stronger. We don't tear down to keep it demolished, but we tear down to build back stronger. Now, Brenda and I, in 2004, we took a house from the 70s and we completely gutted it down to the stud walls. And we took everything off the outside and we started over. We didn't build it back just like it was. No, we, ha- we have a new floor plan. We moved rooms around to suit our lifestyle and to to make it, to configure it for us. We had the same bones. We had the same bones, but a new floor plan. This isn't new. In case you thought deconstruction is something new, it's as old as humanity. It's as old as Jesus. See, Jesus deconstructed. He was doing good deconstruction. He started it. Think about the way that he addressed the religious leaders of his day. Took them to town. Like he addressed the hard things and he went right at them. He was helping them, hoping for deconstruction. And it continues today. If you look, if you do a a survey of church history, if you look at the deconstructing reformers, the Martin Luthers of that day. Many of those that were trying to help the church find a new way died at the hands of corrupt religious leaders, died at the hands of systems that tried to silence the voices of the common people and uh, that wanted to limit their ability to even read and learn the scriptures for themselves. Well, deconstruction often finds, uh, finds its way Through the reconstruction process, those of us that have deconstructed, we kind of find our way eventually back to the community of faith. That's best case scenario. We find our way back to a healthy place spiritually. We find our place back in the community of faith. Dallas Willard, theologian, uh, well, he's an author, he's a philosopher, Dallas Willard, he plays out this scenario where someone says to him, well, I want to believe, but I fear that in coming back to the church, I would have to pretend to be certain about things I never expect to be certain about again. And Dallas Willard's response goes something like this. He says, this is not uncommon. People have been sold this idea that whether in culture, politics, or religion, in order to commit to an idea, they have to be absolutely certain. And absolutely certain that everything else is wrong. What they believe is certainly right. Everything else is wrong. That's where Dallas Willard would say, no, you don't have to be certain about anything. 
that you're not certain about. In fact, certainty is not something you can choose anyway. Certainty and uncertainty are not things that are under the will. It is possible, he says, to go to heaven with a lot of doubts, and it is possible to go to hell with a lot of certainty. People do it every day. We have to help people understand that belief is something that comes along as you experience. You don't have to fake belief. The way faith works is this. You put into practice what you believe. If you're attracted to Jesus, what do you believe about him that you can act on? Experience shows again and again that when you allow people to act on the little that they do believe, the rest will follow. Isn't that encouraging? Isn't it encouraging that we don't have to be absolutely certain before we dip our toes in and begin this process of believing, of reconstructing? Well, as we close out this collection of talks, some of the things I hope for, I hope you've felt the permission to be honest about your doubts and questions about faith and particularly about what it means to follow the way of Jesus. I hope you're learning to recognize that faith is a journey and that journey is filled with potholes. You hit a pothole, your tire blows. What do you do? You fix the tire. You don't just decide you're not gonna drive anymore. You fix the tire, you get back on the road. Not only uh, driving mode this morning, right? Potholes, detours. What happens when you hit a detour? You figure out what the right direction is. You make a turn. You go a different direction. You figure it out. You get back on the journey. This morning, there was twice on the way in, in the dark, I had to dodge roadkill. That happens too. We get a, we dr we're driving in our journey of life, and all of a sudden, there's, there's roadkill on the road. There's dead things in our lives we need to get around those dead things. We need to move those things out of our sight. We need to head straight ahead. Eliminate those dead things. Dodge them and get on the road again. I hope that you accept that different seasons can make us wobblier than others. You guys ever felt wobbly in your faith? Different seasons make us more wobblier than others. But like an infant on swaying legs, it's just that. It's an infant. An infant, we, we were never meant for walking around on perpetually wobbly legs. That's not what we were designed for. You start walking and your legs strengthen. Your unused muscles, they grow and they find their footing. That's what an infant does. So it is with our journey of faith. We, we strengthen those wobbly legs and we move forward. We move forward. The writer of Hebrews, uh, in chapter 5, he's writing and he says he's trying to help the church understand some of the deeper things of the faith. And the church apparently wasn't getting it because he's very strong in his words. This is what he says. There is much more we would like to say about this, but it is difficult to explain, especially since you are spiritually dull and don't seem to listen. You've been believers so long now that you ought to be teaching others. And instead, you need someone to teach you again the basic things about God's work. You are like babies who need milk and cannot eat solid food. You guys, I hope we're not stalled in place 
And I hope we don't still need, if we've been in the faith for a long time, we've been following Jesus for a long time, I hope that, that, our, that our footing is solid, that we don't still need this infant milk, that we can eat the meat and proceed on, on this journey. So how do we grow up in the faith? How is it that we grow up in the faith? Is our spiritual maturity tied to our experience? And, and what if our experience seems to point to a God that lacks the power to act in our world? Or, or if he can act, what if he simply seems to not care enough about us to do so? For many of us, when we consider faith and our level of belief, if we're honest, our mantra is really, I do until I don't. I do until I don't. I do until circumstances dictate otherwise. I do until Jesus doesn't answer my prayers the way I think he ought to answer them if he answers them at all. He behaves in ways that are unexpected. So I do until he doesn't behave the way I think he should. I do until I don't. I do until, well, you name it. What's that thing that has captured your imagination? What's the thing that has captured your attention, your obsession? Maybe it's the boy, or maybe it's the girl, or maybe it's the screen, or maybe it's the content of that screen. What's the thing that is intimidating you right now this morning? What's, what's coming between you and the vibrant, unshakable faith that you long for? Is it the prayer that remains unanswered? The silence that seems unending in your conversations with God? Is it the, the decades-old grudge that you're still carrying? The pain from abuse that remains unforgiven and unresolved? Is it the divorce or the second divorce or the third one that keeps you in a place of instability. What is it? What is it? In Mark chapter nine, if you have your Bibles, you can turn to it. Mark chapter nine, verse 14. Jesus is coming off the mountain. He's, he's spent time uh, commonly known as the Mount of Transfiguration. So he's been spending time with his disciples and, um, well, it was just three of them. Everybody else stayed down at the, mount, the bottom of the hill, right? Bottom of the mountain, that's where everybody else was. And so he's coming off that experience and coming down off the mountain. And when he came to the other disciples, they saw a large crowd around them. Saw the, the disciples were at the bottom of the mountain. Picture it. Lots of people around him. And the teachers of the law arguing with them. As soon as all the people saw Jesus, they were overwhelmed with wonder. Are you overwhelmed with the presence of Jesus? Are you overwhelmed? Or, or do you, is it just blasé? Are you overwhelmed when you see Jesus, when you see the work that he's doing around you? Or has it become a duty or an obligation? Do you desire his presence as soon as all the people saw Jesus, they were overwhelmed with wonder and ran to greet him. What are you arguing with them about, he asked. And a man in the crowd answered. He said, teacher, I brought you my son who is possessed by a spirit that has robbed him of speech. I brought you my son. Jesus just came off the mountain and 
the disciples were dealing with this situation. So what the man was saying wasn't entirely, he might have had the intention of bringing him to Jesus, but he actually had brought him to the disciples. Do you and I find ourselves that way sometimes? We bring this thing that we think we're bringing it to Jesus, but we just bring it to church and we tell other 10 other people about it instead of actually taking it to Jesus and laying it at his feet and saying, can you take care of this for me? We tend to bring it to everybody but Jesus, don't we? Everybody but Jesus. Jesus ought to be our first drop. Let's go there first. The response of Jesus is quite telling. His, the dad continues to, to say to him, like, whenever this spirit seizes my son, it throws him to the ground. He foams at the mouth. He gnashes his teeth and becomes rigid. I asked your, your, your disciples to drive out this spirit, but they could not. And then Jesus says these words, you unbelieving generation. He never says that about us, I'm pretty sure. This is just first generation, first church experience here. You unbelieving generation, how long do I need to stay with you? How long should I put up with you? Bring the boy to me. Bring the boy to me. So they brought him. And when the spirit... See, we just talked about when we see Jesus. Are we in awe? When the Spirit saw Jesus, it immediately threw the boy into a convulsion. He fell to the ground and rolled around, foaming at the mouth. He had the reaction that he normally does when the demonic spirit got a hold of him. But the demonic spirit saw Jesus, and it happened again. It happened again right in front of Jesus. Now I wonder, I wonder what has captured your imagination? What has captured your imagination? What's intimidating you? Because the spirit that saw Jesus was intimidated by the presence of Jesus. The spirit that saw Jesus reacted in his presence. You know, whatever is intimidating you this morning is intimidated in the presence of Jesus. It cannot stand in the presence of Jesus. So Jesus asked the boy's father, he said, how long has he been like this? How long have you dealt with this? How long have you been in a pit and couldn't find your way out? How long have you been dealing with this? From childhood, he answered. Think about this. I had a friend whose son uh, was, uh, since birth, he was sick with cystic fibrosis. My friend would have done and did absolutely anything for his son, anything at all. I don't believe, uh, I mean, it's very easy for me to believe that, that this was not the first time that this dad had brought this child to a faith healer. There's, Jesus wasn't the first person that came on the scene that said, or that, that had the gift of healing. Jesus wasn't the first one, or the purported gift of healing. This dad, I'm sure, he had been to everywhere. Any time that he heard anybody could help his son, he had taken his son. He had taken his son. Here's what happened. In verse 22, it has often thrown him into the fire or water to kill him. This demonic spirit had done this. But if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. And Jesus responds with this word, if, if you can, are you kidding me? If I can? 
Everything is possible for one who believes. The dad is coming to Jesus and he's begging. He's asking for scraps. He says, if you can do anything, anything at all, just give me, give me the scraps from the table. Give me anything. And Jesus' response with everything is possible. Everything is possible. He didn't ask what tax bracket are you in. He didn't say what zip code are you in. He didn't say what side of the tracks do you live on. He just looked at the man, saw his need, and said, anything is pitiful, but I've got everything, and that's powerful. Anything is pitiful, but everything the resources at my disposal, Jesus says, is good for you. I have the power to bring about transformation in your life, he says. See, dad just wants his son healed. Dad just wants his son healed. But Jesus saw the dad. I don't know if the dad had ever been seen before in light of the fact that his son was the one that had so many things going on in his life. But Jesus didn't just see the son, he saw the dad. He saw the dad. He saw what was really begging for his attention. See, healing can come, but what happens when dad gets his faith into alignment with the truth of Jesus? See, all things are possible. And lots of things are possible when God gets a hold of the dad. Because when God gets a hold of the dad, God gets a hold of the family. And when God gets a hold of the family, God gets a hold of generations to come. Immediately, the boy's father exclaimed, I do believe, but help me overcome my unbelief. I do believe, but help my unbelief. And Jesus, Jesus, I, I just imagine he looked straight at him and he said, I'm here today and I'm gonna heal your son. But before I do that, I wanna take care of your unbelief. I wanna heal your son, but before I do, I wanna make sure the unbelief is taken care of. See, there's something deeper that I want to do. See, sometimes we're so busy, we're so busy focused on God fixing our lives, fixing the things that are front of mind for us. We're so focused on what we want Jesus to do for us that we don't realize that what he really wants to do in us is to change our hearts. He'll change everything in our lives, but he first he has to start with our hearts. We say, we, we say things like, please do this, please do that. We've got to get beyond those conversations with God, you guys, that have us telling him what we want him to do and when we want him to do it, and we simply pray a simple prayer of help. Help help. Let me be honest. I'm a struggling. I'm struggling to believe in this moment. Help my unbelief. Help me. See, that's the real thing. We say, we say that, that, that we want God to give us a better job. Give me a better job, God. I hate this job. Yeah, I'll give you a better job, but, but tell, you, tell you what, can I, can I teach you how to have some uh, stick to in the job that you're in? Can I teach you some things about yourself in the job that you're in? Can I get you to be thankful for the job that you're in at this very moment? Can I teach you how to be faithful in the job that you have now? Maybe then you'll be ready for the advancements that are coming down the road. But today, I need you to be faithful in the work that you're in right now. 
Today, I need you to be faithful with bringing me the stuff that you're not taking anywhere else. Those things in our lives that make us less than what we can be. Those things in our lives that require us to act in ways that we really don't want to live. The ways that we don't want to act. But we haven't relinquished. We haven't resurrendered. We haven't allowed Jesus to do the deeper things. We want him to do the surface things. It's time for us to go deeper and allow him to do the work that he wants to do. He's asking us this morning, can you bring it to me this time and really mean it? Can you bring that thing to me this time and really mean it? I know you brought it to the disciples, but you didn't bring it to me. Bring it to me. Bring it to me, Jesus says. In 2 Kings 5, uh, 2 Kings 5, chapter, uh, verse 1, uh, there's a story that starts with Naaman. You remember Naaman? Naaman was a commander in, in the army, and uh, he, uh, he was a very powerful man, very well thought of, but Naaman had this sickness called leprosy. Naaman uh, was part of a, 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 uh, the army where they had taken Israelites captive and he had a little servant girl in his house and the little servant girl saw his suffering and she told her mistress, she said, if Naaman would just go see Elisha, if Naaman would just go see Elisha. So the story goes that Naaman uh, gets permission to go. He goes and finds Elisha. Elisha, he knocks on the door at Elisha's house and Elisha says, hey, servants, go down and Tell him what to do. So he sends his servants. He doesn't even go down and greet Elisha. He just sends his servants down and says, hey, go dip in the Jordan seven times and then come back. Well, Naaman goes into a rage. He's just so frustrated and feels so dishonored. And he is uh, determined he is not going to go swim in the Jordan. How demeaning is this? I'm a commander in the army. How demeaning is this? And so he refuses it just, just rages. Well, his, his uh, officers had a few words with him and encouraged him. You ever have somebody around you that loves you, that believes in you, and you're going sideways, and then he come, hey, come over here. Let's, let's get back on the journey. Let's get on this journey again. That's what his officers did for him. And they said, hey, wouldn't you have done something extraordinary? Wouldn't you have gone to great lengths to get this healing if he'd have told you to do that? It's just a simple thing. What do you have to lose? Go dip in the Jordan. He ends up going to dip in the Jordan. Does it, comes back. I mean, he is perfectly clean. He has no leprosy. He's completely healed. See, Naaman did the thing that he thought was way beneath him. Naaman did the thing he thought was way beneath him. When the very thing that was, that was eating him alive was so evident he did the thing that was beneath him and he was cured, not just of his leprosy, but see what God did first? He cured him of his pride. He took care of his pride and then he received the healing of leprosy. See, what Naaman wanted was to be healed of leprosy. What God wanted for his, was for his pride to be gone. Naaman said, I don't and I won't. I don't and I won't. Till I do. Till I do. I didn't believe, but now I do. Back to, back to Mark. When Jesus saw that the crowd was running to the scene, he rebuked the impure spirit. 
You deaf and mute spirit, he said, I command you come out of him and never enter him again. The spirit shrieked, convulsed him violently and came out. And the boy looked so much like a corpse. Most of you don't look dead. But I wonder if you're feeling dead this morning. Are you feeling dead inside? Jesus says to this young boy that looks so much like a corpse, he said, uh, the people around said, he's dead. Uh, Jesus took him by the hand, lifted him to his feet, and he stood up whole. Would you stand with me? This morning I have to wonder, like in all of our conversations about unbelief, and help my unbelief, I wonder where your weak spot is. Where is it? Where's the weak spot in your life this morning? What are the believable lies? I didn't say unbelievable lies. I said, what are the believable lies that the enemy has introduced as truth? What have you believed for so long that it's become true for you? What are those things that need to be deconstructed in your life? Are your eyes wide open this morning to see the potholes, to navigate the detours, to dodge the roadkill? See, where weaknesses exist, engaged faith cries, I believe, help my unbelief. Can you say with me? I believe, help my unbelief. Come on, I believe, help my unbelief. Yeah, help me, help me, help me. That's the most honest request we can make. Help my unbelief. I'm not asking that you sustain my unbelief. I'm not asking that you preserve my unbelief or excuse my unbelief. What I'm asking is that you would diminish it, that I would overcome it, that you would flip the script, Jesus. Flip the script. Help my unbelief. See, when doubt comes calling, you guys, when doubt comes calling, and it will, doubt will come calling, and it'll come whispering. Doubt usually doesn't shout. It usually whispers. And if you're a follower of Jesus this morning, the things that you will have whispered in your ear might sound something like, mm, I don't know. The Bible isn't reliable. The Bible isn't reliable. Did God really say? God isn't the real deal. It's not true. The blood of Christ is not enough. Whispering. The lies come. The blood of Christ. Don't make peace with those lies. Don't make peace with the lies of the enemy. Don't get into bed with those lies. Don't get trapped by those lies. Don't embrace them. Don't accept them. Don't boast about them. Instead, flip the script. Confess. Confess. Embrace the truth. Cling to Jesus.
Cling to Jesus. A simple prayer of help is about as honest as you can get. I believe, I believe. Help my unbelief. See, this could all be misconstrued if you're looking from the outside in. Oh, they're doing a series on deconstruction. Huh. It must be encouraging people to deconstruct and create chaos and a mess. That might be the visual. But around here, around here, we believe very simply uh, Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and we all come to the Father through him. Around here, we believe that we are called to be stable, not wishy-washy. We're called to be secure. These are the things that are the highest standard, secure and stable in what we believe. We stand firm. This is our calling to stand firm in the faith that we have been given. 1 Corinthians 16, I'll close with this. Be on guard. Stand firm in the faith. Be courageous. Be strong. And do everything. Because you're marked by love. You're marked by love, friends. If you're following the way of Jesus, the way of Jesus is the way of love. That's our first order of business. Let me pray for us. Father, it is uh, with great, really great and grateful hearts that we close this series this morning. God, I believe these words have been uh, an encouragement to those in my hearing just as they have been to me. Father, I believe that you are continuing to do a, a, a real stirring in us as we consider the impact that we can have on each other in our relationships. If we uh, can just raise the standard to such a high level that everything we do is first of all in love. God, that is your heart. That is your heart for your people. And so where there is division and chaos this morning, we speak the name of Jesus over all of that. We believe, Father, that uh, you did not come to uh, give us anything but life. You came to give us real life. And for those of us that are feeling broken and disconnected this morning, God, would you just realign our hearts, bring healing and restoration where there is pain and where there is brokenness. God, we simply say, help. I do believe, I do believe, help my unbelief. We pray this in the name of Jesus, amen. Hey, you guys. I keep, I keep thinking back to a couple weeks ago. And the shift, and I'll probably just keep talking about this. I'll probably keep talking about this for a bit. 
because I want to keep reminding us. When we gather together like this, this is not a waste of time. This is not a waste of your energy. It's actually critical whenever you can to be in the house. It's not to take anything away from those of you online this morning. We love that you're there. And some of us are ill this morning and we're praying for you guys. But if you're healthy and whole, get to the house. Get to the house. There is nothing better than to be in the presence of Jesus with you, with each other. There's nothing like being in the presence of Jesus to experience the power of his presence. If you and I, if you and I say, well, that's an exercise in futility. I'm just gonna sit on the couch. That may be uh, all right for you for a Sunday. But let me just say that the kids aren't served. The kids aren't served. The host team is not at the door. The musicians surely aren't here. I might wrangle out some preaching. But if we all do this, if we all do this, we have the power because of Jesus in us, of the active presence of the Holy Spirit in us to actually bring transformation instead of just talking about it. So much of our life is spent on good intentions. You guys, we can do better than this. We can be the people that somebody drives by R5M. If you're brand new here, R5M Restore at 5th and Madison. That's what we call this place. R5M. I want it to be, and we as a leadership team, all of us together, want this place to be a shining beacon on the hill. We can't be that without you. We can't be that without you stepping in, getting involved, and doing the things that need to be done. We can all come and consume and not do a squat. We can all come and consume. The music's great. The preaching's halfway. You know, there, getting closer. We can all do this together. So if you're not serving this morning, I'm not, putting a, I'm not meaning to put a guilt trip on you. But I'm just saying that we can only come and consume for a certain period of time. And then it's like, we either get in the game or we step back out. So there's a give button at the upper right-hand corner, of the, or a give button and a serve button. Do both. They're right there. It's very easy on the website. All right, I'm done. But now what I really went to say in all of that was that there's going to be people up here ready to pray for you. And if you don't come to get prayed for this morning, you're missing out on what God wants to do in your life in addition to the word you just heard. Put that word to action. Do something this morning that will actually bring your next days and the day after that and the day after that till we get back together again next Sunday. You'll actually do more with your life if you come for prayer this morning. Thank you. Thanks for joining us for today's episode. Please rate and review us on Spotify and iTunes and join us again for next week's podcast. We love you and pray blessing and peace over you and your family.